I want to take a minute and just welcome you again to Cross Community Church. I want to say welcome to those of you who are watching us online, those of you at our Pecola campus. Uh, we're grateful for an opportunity to gather together, uh, whether it be in person or uh, online uh, via a video, whatever we have to do in this season. One of the things I'm convinced of is that uh, for, for God and His sovereignty uh, in accomplishing His purposes is that He has perfectly equipped us to walk through this season. Like God looked at, like through all of eternity, everything that's going to happen in this world, and that He has uniquely placed us, chosen us, and put us in this specific place at this specific time to be the people of God. Now, I, I don't know the specifics about what's happening in your life and your story. I certainly know the broader things that are going on in our country, but as believers in Jesus Christ, what we know is that for whatever reason, God has chosen us to walk through this moment as disciples of Jesus Christ to be light in the midst of the darkness in these days. Now, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know we're walking through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, and they were going through some difficult days themselves. Uh, Paul mentioned to them, we read it last week, that he said, for it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And so the church at Philippi, they were created when they were created for, you know, to, to live at that time in those circumstances. God had placed them in the city of Philippi to be light in the midst of darkness. And for them, being a Christian meant suffering. It meant they might be beaten with rods as Paul was while he was in the city. It meant that they might be thrown in jail as Paul was while he was in the city. It meant suffering on behalf of Jesus Christ. He's like, hey, that's been granted to you. And for us as believers in Jesus, you know, a couple thousand years later, uh, things have been granted to us as well. And if you read much of the Bible, you should know that in the life of a believer, suffering is the expectation like we, most of us got to live fairly good lives, like things have gone fairly well for us, we're pretty uh, prosperous, things are going pretty well for us. But again, as you read throughout the scriptures, the expectation for every believer is that we would endure suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, Paul spoke specifically about what it looks like to suffer in the face of opposition. And so he said, stand firm in the Spirit, like it's the Spirit that will empower you. Stand firm together, united as the body of Christ against opposition. You strive together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way afraid of your opponents. But Paul knew something that is so critical for the American church. That opposition from the outside is rarely what's going to divide or to destroy us. But instead, for the American church, you know what happens to churches? Do you know what's destructive for churches? It's not people on the outside. It's the people on the inside. I first began serving at a church. Um, I was an intern here. I think I was 17 years old. Uh, it did not go well. Uh, and, and a lot of that was my fault. Uh, it just wasn't the best season of my life, and uh, I, I began to uh, understand what it was going to look like uh, to serve the church. Uh, it, it was, I mean, it was a joy. I got to serve with students and do a lot of great things, but there was some difficulty in, in the midst of that. And, and to be honest with you, if I were to tell you the story of my life, some of the deepest hurts, like some of the darkest moments of my life have come from church people. 
Like some of those times of suffering, some of those times of, of doubt, times where I felt betrayed or I uh, just really experienced hurt have come from church people. Now, the truth of us all uh, is that we're flawed. We're sinful. We make mistakes, right? I have hurt people in the church. I have done things wrong. Paul today is going to turn his attention from writing to, uh, to uh, the church at Philippi and, and explain to them, uh, here's how you resist opposition on the outside. And instead, he's going to say, hey, here's how you resist division on the inside. Just as he stressed unity from outside opposition, he's now going to push them toward unity from inner division. But I just told you that some of my deepest hurts faced at the hands of church people. The people I thought were on my side, the, you know, within days of saying, hey, I'm with you, would turn against you. People that I thought loved me didn't always act in loving ways. How do we as the people of God uh, remain united when difficulty comes, when we disagree? So Paul's going to speak to us about that. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. And Paul's going to have a similar formula to what he did last week. This is actually a continuation of what he talked about. And we begin with the word, therefore. So he's like, hey, looking back on what I just told you, uh, here's what now you, how you need to respond in accordance with that. And so last week he said, I, I want to encourage you to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. And he wants you to think about the worth of Christ. He's going to remind us to do the same again. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, therefore, if any encouragement in Christ. Now, as you, um, he, he points these things, he puts an if here, like there's a question being asked, uh, but the answer you should arrive at, if like Paul is anticipating that you're going to be like, Absolutely. When you think about encouragement in Christ, you and I, we were hopeless in our sin, right? Dead in trespasses and sin. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't be good enough to somehow balance out the scales. We were on a, like a course towards spending eternity separated from God in the place called hell, right? That's where we were. We couldn't do anything about it. And Jesus loved us enough that he died on the cross. He took our sin. He gave to us his righteousness. Like, anybody encouraged? You were once hopeless. Now you've been given a hope and a future. You've been adopted. You're now a child of God. So if there is any encouragement, should say, absolutely, right? Yes, there is encouragement in Christ. He's reminding us of the worth of the gospel. So he says, if, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, have you seen the way that God loves us? Have you thought about how much God loves us? All we brought to the table was our sin. And he sent his son to die. Son had a basketball game yesterday and a referee didn't call a call the way I wanted him to. And I was mad, right? I was like, oh, I was angry about that specific call. Like I was not expressing the kind of love. Like I have this protection thing with my child and I want him to do well. And yet God was willing to sacrifice his child for people who only sinned against him. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete 
by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, what Paul just did here is something you might hear in LaFleur County a little bit, right? He basically did, uh, if you've ever heard someone say, uh, I need you to do it quick, fast, and in a hurry, right? You, you basically just said the same thing uh, three times over. You're just reiterating, like, I, I'm not talking about kind of a, a little bit of her. I, I need it, like, right now. We need to really rush this thing. And so when he's speaking here and he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, he's using a, a particular Greek word. It's the Greek word phroneo. And so uh, it, it really means to have this in your mind or kind of have an attitude of or a mindset like this. And so uh, he's calling on this church at Philippi. He knows they're going to endure suffering. He knows there's going to be inner division and turmoil. As a matter of fact, at the end of this book, he's going to scold a couple of them. He's like, I need you guys to agree in Christ Jesus. Like, quit your bickering. Stop your fighting. And here he's saying, I need you to be of the same mind, as he's already said before, the same phreneo, have the same mindset. He goes on and he says, I need you to have the same love, like keep this up. This isn't something that happens like every now and then you get together and you have like this killer worship session. You're just like, oh, I just love my church, right? No, no, no. You maintain this love for one another. Like it, it's an ongoing thing. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's a way of thinking about the world, a way of loving other people. And then he pulls out this word that's in, in NASB. It's united in spirit. It's a, it's a pretty interesting uh, word in the Greek. It really just means, it's two words again smashed together. It means souls together. I want you to have this mind in yourselves. I want you to have this love in you that your souls are together in striving toward this thing. When it says they're intent on one purpose, he uses the same word that he used at the beginning of this where he says, I want you to be of the same mind. So in a, in a sense, here's what he said. I want you to have this mindset in yourselves. I want you to have this love in yourselves, and I want you guys to be together in this. I want your souls together, everybody on the same page, everybody striving in the same direction, that this is how we're going to live. Like, this is how we're going to strive. I want your minds to be together in this. Like, if Paul were here, I think he would plead with us to, like, hey, set aside all of your other, like, perspectives in this world, all your other pursuits. Can we just get together on this one thing? He repeats it over and over and over. If you want to know what the mind of Christ looks like, if you want to know what the love of Christ looks like, Paul is going to repeat one more time and give us an example of this mind that we're supposed to take on like every single one of us. Look down in verse 5. He says, have this attitude. Again, the same word, phreneo. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also... In Christ Jesus. You don't want to know what kind of mindset you need to have, what kind of attitude you need to have, how to think about the world, how you relate to the world and the world relates to you. And take on the mind of Christ. You want to know how you love the world, the love that we're supposed to maintain one for another, not like visit every now and then where we really love each other, but maintain. We keep this up. It's our lifestyle. It's that of Christ. And then he points out to us just how Jesus thought, just how Jesus loved, how he lived his life. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, 
did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Jesus, who existed in the form of God, humbled himself and he took on the form of the lowest of servants. He took on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when you think about Jesus, he is God. He spoke all that you know and see into existence. Everything was created uh, through him, by him, for him. Like Jesus, he speaks the world into existence. Like the whole thing is designed to just, just reverberate of his glory, right? Jesus is, is deserving of all glory and honor and praise and worship of all of our service, our adoration. Like that's what he deserves. The sovereign of the world. He stepped down into heaven. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And he took on the weakness of human flesh. Anybody here a little frustrated by your weaknesses? I don't know if this is just a man thing or what, but I, I can't stand the fact that I'm weak and I can't do certain things. Like I look at other people and they can do things, and I'm like, why can't I do that thing? Like uh, yesterday I attempted to... Uh, uh, weld up this little bit of metal <clears throat> at my house. Y'all, I've watched it on YouTube, and I think my welder is broken because it just doesn't work the same way. Like, I, I want to be able to do anything anyone can do. Like, I want to have, like, I want to be able to do things I could do even when I was 20, right? I don't like to be limited in any way and to think that Jesus was God who in a moment could speak the world into existence then humbled himself and took on the weakness of flesh. And not just that. He came to earth to be a bond slave. He was reviled by men. They spat in his face and they mocked him. The sovereign of the world who created all of this, who in an instant could have just like, like smoked everyone for their sin, right? We deserve that. But Jesus, he humbles himself and he continues to serve drive a crown of thorns into his skull. He continues to serve. Begin to drive nails through his wrists and his ankles. He continued to serve. Stand him up on that cross, struggling to breathe, gasping for air. He continued to serve. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Paul says, you want to know how you're supposed to live this out? Listen, you've been called. We have been called for this moment. God saw fit that we would be the church of Jesus Christ in this place in this time. It's like, you want to know how that looks? You want to know how to serve? You want to know how you're supposed to live your lives? You have this mind that Christ had. That you don't go fighting for what you deserve. You don't go live in your life trying to get what you can get, thinking about yourself. Instead, we should have this kind of mind and this kind of love where we would humble ourselves, that we as the people of God would become the bond slaves of the world. We would be obedient to God, loving Him and loving others enough to lay down our life for them.
In America, we're often focused on our rights. I got rights. Don't, don't mistreat me. Hey, you owe me respect. You owe me my rights. We are owed certain things. And Paul's like, no, no, that's actually not thinking that's consistent with the kingdom of God. Your attitude needs to be like Christ, who was owed all glory and honor and praise and service and worship. But he humbled himself and he became the lowest servant, obedient to God even unto death. Christian, are you ready to humble yourself to serve this body and the world out there even unto death? Because that's what the Bible calls you to. Have this mind, this attitude, this way of thinking about your life, which was present in Christ. He goes on further to explain to us what, what he means, to give us a little more discussion in verse two or verse three, I'm sorry. He says this: do nothing. Now, uh, to look at this word in the Greek, the Greek word for nothing, it, it really means nothing. It means not one thing. If we're going to be unified as the body of Jesus Christ, have this kind of unity. Like, there's different opinions, there's different thoughts, there's all sorts of taste and perspectives. Like, we vote differently here. Some people are Democrats, and some people are Republicans. Some people are in the Green Party. Some people are independents. Like, some people have, I mean, just the craziest perspectives you've ever seen. And yet, what God calls us to here is this extraordinary unity in Christ Jesus. And Paul's like, how do we get to where we're living in this mind of Christ, and we love each other with this love of Christ? He begins with do nothing, not one single thing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. When we walk through the doors, when we gather in this place, we ought to be looking around like, hey, that person's more important than me. When we walk out of here and we go into our workplace tomorrow, we see those people, whoever they are, whatever their names may be, as more important than ourselves because we're just bond slaves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Now, that word selfishness that Paul began with, do nothing out of selfishness. It is the, the Greek word eretheia. It means self-seeking. Anyone show up to church, you know, with your own perspectives, hoping that particular person is going to be leading worship this week and that this person made the coffee and that, well, you know, we kind of evaluate church on, you know, how, how was I greeted? Did everybody like say nice things to me or was she kind of quiet? I wonder if she's mad at me, right? We all kind of tend to live our lives thinking about our, ourselves. Like how did, how did we and everyone relate to us? Like how did we experience the world? Selfishness is kind of the default of human behavior. You see the world through your eyes, experience the world through your senses, Paul's saying, listen, the church of Jesus Christ kind of has to flip the script. That rather than experiencing or thinking about the world in terms of how you experience it, how, how you sense it, you should begin to look through the eyes of other people. Do nothing out of selfishness. And don't be self-seeking. Don't be self-centered in your perspectives. 
Don't be asking, what can I get? What's in it for me? Anybody have that, that friend uh, that if you have a party, they're the non-committal ones because they're keeping their options open in case something better comes along. And so you might be like grilling up steaks at your house and you're like, hey, you know, beef isn't cheap right now. I kind of need to know, do I buy you a steak or not? And they're like, hey, I'll, I'll get back with you. Yeah, I think I'd like to go, but I, I'll, have to, I'll have to let you know a little later, right? The non-committal person that really what they're doing is they're saying, hey, I want the best possible option for me. What, the person I'm focused on here is me. And, and if it turns out that your barbecue or your party or whatever is the best option for me, then I'll be there. If not, see you later. Paul would say, oh, that's not how this works. And it's not how it works in the church. That it's not we, we come to church and we serve in the church and we offer ourselves to other people when it's the best option. That's selfishness. Paul says, do nothing out of that heart. But instead, you ought to have the mind of Christ who stepped down out of the glory of heaven in the brokenness of this world to die for broken and sinful people who would mock him and rebel against him. He would die there. Do nothing out of selfishness. The other word there is empty conceit. It's uh, kenodoxia, which basically, uh, when you think about empty conceit, this is the guy on the basketball court that's talking trash when he's not very good. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like that player that he, he kind of, he gets, he gets dunked on. I mean, he, like people are shooting over him. They're, doing, they're making him look terrible. And then he gets a steal and he's like, oh, look at me, right? It's empty conceit. Like you don't deserve to be doing that. Like you're not even good. Actually, that's exactly what this word means. It's empty conceit. It's thinking more of yourselves than is really true. When we think about who we are, we were condemned sinners. This is not a church full of like uh, relatively successful people who have their junk together. This is a church full of people who were condemned to an eternity in hell because of our own actions. It's what we deserved. But Christ the one who did deserve glory and honor and praise. He died in our place. So we stand here, we come here, not in selfishness or vain conceit. This word actually, um, it, it gives you a sense of your own smallness. one person out of several billion in the world who happens to live at this moment in eternity. I'm not that important. But I have an extraordinarily important job. And that is to represent Christ, whether by my life or by my death. It's taking on the mind of Christ, expressing the love of Christ, both in this place and as we leave, being light in the midst of the darkness. Paul says, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. 19 years old, I went on a mission trip. I was at Trinity Baptist Church in Hevener. I was an interim youth pastor for the summer. I didn't know anything about what I was doing. Uh, I can't believe they hired me. Uh, we ended up, we go on a mission trip that summer. We're in these uh, little bit ghetto Dodge church fans. And as happens on every single mission trip that's ever been taken in the history of the world, the transmission went out on the church fan. And so we are a few hours south of the border in Mexico, right next to a drug 
checkpoint, like where the guys are walking around with machine guns. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. And so we packed about 40 people into the other running church van, and we sent them back north of the border because we didn't want to stay the night at this place. And I happened to get left behind uh, with the guys to stay there. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is awesome, you know. And the, the missionary who was, who was there uh, kind of leading us that we connected with, he, he looked at me and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, guys, I appreciate you guys being willing to stay here. Like, we couldn't leave this van. That wouldn't go well for any of us. He goes, don't call yourself servants and then expect it to not be treated like one. Like, oftentimes for us as Americans, we're like, oh, yeah, I'm a servant. I serve. I work in nursery. Like, I cleaned a bathroom. But the rest of the time... You better not treat me like a servant. I need people to smile at me when I walk in the door. I need the worship to be pleasing to me. I need the pastor to tell enough stories to keep me engaged. Like, it's really, no, 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 y'all serve me. As believers in Jesus Christ, we shouldn't call ourselves servants and expect not to be treated like one. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, which means little Christs, we should see ourselves as bond slaves. Seeing others is more important than ourselves with humility of mind. He goes on and he closes. He says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Can I tell you, I know the things I'm interested in. All right, I, I actually, I kind of map this out in my head, whether I like it or not. Uh, with my interests, um, I, I want things to go well. Uh, when I get interested in something, I'm kind of obsessive about it. I start to research. I watch YouTube videos, right? I got to learn about it. I'm interested in it. Um, when it comes down to, uh, say, guns, I want a very specific gun, and I want, like, this caliber. Like, I need all the things to line up. I want it to be just perfect according to the way that I want it. That's, that's what it looks like for me to look out for my own interest. And Paul would say, don't merely look out for your own interest, but also for the interests of others. Many of you have interests, right? Um, almost all of us do. Interested in our retirement accounts, interested in our own health care, our well-being, interested in the success of our children, like educational outcomes. We're interested in lots of things in this life. And Paul doesn't condemn that. He said, just don't make it all about you. Don't spend all your time thinking about yourself, that you should be interested in the interest of others, that you should be concerned about the things that concern others. This is what it looks like for us to have the mind and the love of Christ. My hope for us as a church is that we would take on the mind of Christ, the attitude, the love of Christ. And as we leave here today, we walk out of here as bond servants. And we begin to live lives that seem obscure and unimportant and seem like, hey, why would anyone want to live? Like, why would anyone walk into work thinking, hey, I'm the servant today? Why would anyone walk into their home and be like, hey, I want to serve everybody today? Why would anyone walk into a gathering of church and be like, ah, I just can't wait to be a servant? But here's the good news for us. As believers in Jesus Christ, this earth is not our home. Like, uh, uh, to, to do well here is not our hope. It's not our goal. But look what God did for Jesus, who's the one that we follow after. In verse 9, talking about the man Jesus, who humbled himself to that of a bond slave, obedient to God, even unto death. Verse 9, for this reason, 
also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the sovereign who became the servant, the one who was obedient even unto death. God bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we humble ourselves before God, when we will submit ourselves to one another in humble service, taking on the mind of Christ, expressing the love of Christ, you know what God does? He exalts us. This is 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Peter says, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble your, your, yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time. Take on this mind of Christ, the love of Christ. Let it characterize your life. It might feel like just humble service that's meaningless and unimportant, but when we humble ourselves before God, you know what he does? He exalts us. You want to know true life? You want to know the abundant life that's available to us in Christ Jesus? It doesn't come from climbing a ladder and getting to the top. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, you want to be great in the kingdom of God? You become the servant. You want to find life? Lose yours. I heard a pastor one time say, it's, God's, or it's your job to humble yourself and God's job to exalt you. If you take God's job, and exalt yourself, God will take yours and humble you. For us as the people of God, we're supposed to live as Christ, not living for our own interest, not living out of selfishness, thinking about me and mine, not asking what do I get out of this, but the question we ask is what do I have to give? I want to give you two practical ways that we can begin to do that as the church of Jesus, cross-community church in this day. Um, number one, I want to challenge you guys to begin serving faithfully. Something we say here a lot. Serving faithfully. And there's, there's two words there, right? One of those is serving, where you would humble yourself and be like, hey, this is not about me. I'm going to seek the good of others. I'm going to show up early, and I'm going to clean. I don't know if you knew this, but there have been people here all week long preparing for you to be here in this moment. Like, there have been people who have been cleaning. Listen, single moms with kids, like, here cleaning in your absence to make sure this is a great environment for us to worship in. There have been people praying over you, over this service. They've been investing in you. They've been preparing to teach. We've had people preparing to lead us in worship. Like, people, there was a young man who spent two full days this week up here. You don't know his name. He spent two full days up here power washing the front concrete was worship to God and service to you. And you don't know his name, but God does. And God is honored and glorified because he served. He was here. He, again, he, I didn't even ask him. He was like, hey, can I come and do this thing? You know why he did it? Because he has the mind of Christ. Because he's not like, hey, you guys come clean my house. He's like, I'm going to come and serve the body. I'm going to do this unto God because I love him. I, I want to say on the front end, if you're here and you're hurting, and you're here, you're like, man, I just need to heal. Like, I need God to work in my heart. Like, it's cool that you just come, and we want to serve you. We want to love you. We want to care for you. But what we understand 
is that if we're going to follow Christ, we become servants. And we would expect that of everyone who attends at this church. And not just while you're here, but it's when you go out there. That you begin to see yourself not in this vain conceit, but instead in humility. Begin offering yourself in service to other people. Laying your life down for them over and over and over and over that people begin to see Christ in you, that you love them in such a way that they're like, hey, this is really unusual. They see Christ's love exhibited in your life. That this church is unified around that one idea, having the attitude of Jesus Christ, serving and loving people as Christ did. This morning, you may not know it, there are kids back behind that back wall back there. There are kids in our children's area. There are students who are going to be here on a Wednesday night, and they are desperately longing for someone to tell them that they're worth it, for someone to love them, for someone to show up faithfully and say to them week after week after week that you love them that your presence says you love them, that you would begin to speak the gospel into their lives. In the midst of a world where Satan wants to steal, to kill, and destroy, there are students coming here every week that need you. The question is, will you humble yourself and say, hey, you know what? It's inconvenient for me. I'm going to have to give something up. That used to be our date night. We used to get to go shop for groceries on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. I used to get to sleep in, but this is not about me anymore, right? I'm not here to be served. I'm supposed to serve. Hey, do you like to sleep in? Anybody? you know what? Other people do too. And if you like that, that might be your opportunity to step into service that you'd say, I'm going to get up early so someone else can sleep in. Do you love to have like a, a beautiful, like super clean church building? It might be your opportunity to step into service to provide that for other people. Do you love wonderful music and the tech to all work perfectly, the building to be perfectly made? This may be an opportunity for you to step into service. Would you love it if your workplace was a place of peace? place of love, a place where everyone didn't look out for themselves, but instead looked out for each other. It's your opportunity to step into faithful service as the people of God, showing them what it looks like, showing them light in the midst of their darkness. So number one, I encourage you to serve faithfully. If you don't know where to do that, go hit the welcome booth after this. You'll get a phone call this week, all right? It'll be on, right? We, we have places for people to serve. We want you to use your gifts, but don't let it stop here. And go out there and begin to serve, investing in people, sacrificing yourself for them. The, the second way I would encourage you to serve is that you begin to give sacrificially. Wealthiest nation in the history of the world. You know the question I consistently get from church members? Hey, how much do I have to give? Like, what does God require? Like, what's my minimum number, you know, so I can know that I'm good with God and everything's okay? Like, how much do I have to give? Can I just tell you that the heart of Jesus, the mind of Christ, the love of Christ says, how much do I have to give? How much can I offer to other people? You see, when we think about becoming servants of other people, it's a sacrificial act. So I want to encourage you to begin giving sacrificially. If you want to ask me a starting point, I'll point you to the Old Testament. There was what's known as the tithe. There was 10%. And let me say, start there, but don't stop there. And give sacrificially. Your lifestyle ought to suffer on behalf of other people. Giving sacrificially, serving faithfully, having the mind of Christ, the love of Christ toward your fellow man. Can I pray for you?
Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that you lead us in the path of true and abundant life. Lord, if you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life, we can be confident that by following you, we're walking, we're, we're walking in the life that you have for us. And so I pray that for your church, that we might not be like these weak, milk toast kind of Christians that just go to church and feel good about ourselves, but Father, may we be fully devoted disciples who will not stop short as long as there's one more person to be served. As long as there's one more person that doesn't know you, uh, another person who's in need, Father, may your church engage that need. May we sacrificially give to people, sacrificially serve other people because that's what you did for us. Lord, we've been encouraged by your work for us. We've experienced your love for us. God, you've offered yourself for us. And I pray now, that we might offer ourselves one to another. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.